Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm your host, Eric Houston, along with Theo Fleury. Darren coming back from Super Bowl weekend, so we'll have missed him for two weeks in a row, but... If anyone watched, he's got some pretty cool sneakers that you can look at on social media. That's his uh, his claim to fame there. Um, I joke a little bit at the beginning because we come together around a serious topic. You know, we typically like to rally around current events and discuss them through a nuanced lens that's needed. And in this particular case, interestingly enough, the two guests that we have on live in a similar area of the country to where this news story happened. Um, we have a woman... Uh, Lindsay Clancy is her name, 32-year-old mother. This happened at the end of January, these events, uh, leading to a hearing that just happened in mid-February. Uh, 32-year-old mom, home alone with her three young children. One was seven months old, one was three years old, one was five years old. Duxbury, Massachusetts, if anyone knows Duxbury or doesn't know Duxbury, it's a affluent community on the water. Um, it's what is considered pristine. Uh, people think that, uh, you know, if you live there, you got the world in the palm of your hands. We, we often know that not to be the case, but I, I paint that background. So you see the scene that we're coming from. Lindsay's husband, uh, goes out on an errand, uh, to pick up dinner. They texted with each other that he was working in the home office. Now, Lindsay, as I just mentioned, the seventh month old at home had just given birth. And for the last four months, before that had been struggling. So this is October going into January, October of 2022 going to January of 2023 had been struggling with what it sounds like was postpartum, right? There's different terms for what these labels are. Uh, Dr. Tina Stein, who's one of the guests with us has a book called what if it's not depression, right? So we'll get into labels and how much labels play into this. But what we know is that Lindsay was struggling with her mental health that we know. We also know that many women postpartum struggle with their mental health, whether we call it depression, whether we call it someone else. Lindsay, prior to this night that I'm going to describe, had checked herself into the hospital on her own January 1st. Uh, she had uh, complained of suicidal thoughts. She had even told her husband that she had images of killing her children. One of the scariest things you could possibly imagine as a spouse to hear. And what has come out also since is that during the five, uh, excuse me, four months from October through January that she really started to complain more and more about her mental health, she had been on 13 different psychotropic drug medications, not all at once, right? It's something when I posted about it, people wanted me to be clear on. So 13 in total over four months, some reports say upwards of four and five at a time. We don't know exactly how many doctors that will get into the nuance of prescribing through a primary care doctor versus a hospital and the back and forth of that. But this leads to this point where her husband goes on this errand. 
the phone records show that she did a search to find out how far away the restaurant was and how long it would take. And then unfortunately her husband comes home and the three children, um, two of whom have passed away by the time she gets back. Uh, one is in critical condition and gets airlifted and ultimately passes. And Lindsay is on the floor in front of the house, having attempted suicide, um, making cuts, you know, trigger warning here, but to her wrists, her neck, and then jumping out of the second story of, of their house. Um, spinal cord destroyed essentially from her waist on down paralyzed now at the moment. And so that level of detail, that level of background I give because the way that our society typically discusses these stories, the way that you're reading about them in the tabloid newspapers, the way that you're hearing about them on TV is through the lens of a lifetime movie. Mother, loving mother, kills her three kids, then tries you know, to attempt suicide to get out of the situation so that she can escape the culpability. And then the expectation is, what was the motive behind it? We're going to find something that was written up, that was in her desk, that shows all the plans of what she did. And as someone who suffered myself and was put on 52 different psychotropic drug combinations over a two and a half year span, it pains me when I hear these. None of us on this call are going to claim to know Lindsay personally. Dr. Stein is not going to claim to have treated Lindsay. Um, our other guest, Samantha Arsenal Livingston, who's who's a decorated Olympian, USA swimmer, gold medalist, who herself dealt with postpartum is going to tell us about it. None of us are going to say we know the situation. Theo's been through his own mental health challenges, doesn't know exactly what Lindsay went through. But what we are here to do is to paint the picture of what could have happened through the lens of mental health, through the lens of things like when your mental health declines and you have things like suicidal and homicidal thoughts through the lens of what being on the wrong medications or too many medications at one time can do to you through the lens of homicidal and suicidal thoughts. And then through the lens of what Lindsay's lawyers claim, which is the potential of psychosis, literally losing your mind in the middle of a situation, acting out and not even remembering what you did, not knowing what you were capable of in the moment and then coming to. And where I'll land the plane and then we'll begin the conversation is it's just heartbreaking to have watched the hearing the other day and to see this woman laying there. And I don't want anyone to think that we stand for not having accountability when awful situations like this happen. But you see this woman paralyzed and you see the video on her. They have her in the courtroom on Zoom or some video chat from the neck up. She's got a mask on because she's in the hospital. And there's zero affect to her face. I mean, what is being described by the prosecution, what is being described by the defense attorneys, you are not seeing her react to any of this. And it, it brings you back when you're someone who's been on a lot of different medications and seen the way these things affect you and how they make you, as the husband described a lot of times during this situation, zombie-like. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start, I mentioned Samantha being, you know, one of our guests here today. Sam, you and I have presented together. I know your story intimately because you're a friend also. Mm -hmm. um, but you're someone who is on the highest of highs. Mm -hmm. And so I compare that because 
we talk about this woman, 32, she's a nurse, by the way, described by everyone in the town as a loving, great mother, amazing nurse, all these character um, uh, letters coming about how great her character was. You're this embodiment of this mm -hmm. Olympic champion. And you went through something after your preg you've had multiple pregnancies, but after mm -hmm. one of your pregnancies in particular, and you've shared very openly about it. I think everyone hearing that would be helpful context to this conversation. Sure. Yeah. And I just like the the thread, like listening to you is just like the, hu the human, like that's the piece. I know we talk about that all the time, five and five, like the thread that connects us all is our humanity. And so, yeah, I mean, winning an Olympic gold medal sure as heck didn't prevent me from experiencing a really dark time after my fourth daughter was born. So to lay out a little bit of context of my story, I come from a pretty long history of trauma in my home when I was growing up and um, alcohol and abuse and these are pieces that I've put together as an adult, as I've started this healing journey, right? Of kind of like unpacking layers to my own story and kind of trying to figure out the why behind what's happening. And by the time that my four, so we have four, we have four kids and the fourth, so the first one, um, and that was born so solo child and then I had twins and I left because I still can't believe I carried two babies at one time. Um, and that one of those twins ended up needing open heart surgery. So that was another trauma I experienced as a mother, you know, with, when she was diagnosed at nine months old and then 12 months. And that one was really hard. And that's actually what sent me on this healing journey as an adult coming off of that with post-traumatic post stress disorder and just trying to navigate life with trauma. So by the time we made the decision to have another child, I knew that that was, you know, I had, I had my skills and my toolbox was full and it was a conscious decision to, you know, bring, if we were blessed enough to bring another child into the world. And I was still so unprepared for what came on the backside of it, even knowing, you know, that thoughts arise, like really having a firm and in, in well-established mindfulness practice, having solid tools in my toolbox, like having all of those things, knowing and being able, being familiar with this language um, on the backside of her birth which was magical and the others weren't like one was a really intense traumatic my firstborn to hospital stay where you know I didn't know how to use my voice in a system that where I felt like less than and I didn't know how to advocate for myself and so there was a lot of there was a lot of trauma related to her birth and then the twins were a c-section and you know with the NICU team rushing in so there was trauma related to that unhealed all of it right and so this fourth baby being able to bring her into the world alongside of an, an amazing midwife who helped me to use my voice and tap into that strength it was absolutely beautiful it, I couldn't have written a more beautiful birth right and a lot of us as women have this idea of what it's supposed to be like or what we want and then it falls short so that alone is hard this was everything and still on the back end of that probably six or so weeks I started to just sink into a really dark space and that dark space grew. And I have, I, I honestly, that space of being present in the day to day, but like not even when you say like, when you were describing psychosis, that I can relate to that feeling of being so numb that you don't really even remember. Like, so there are parts of that where I look back at pictures and I'm like, I was physically present and also just not even aware of just yeah the memories are hard to pull on and that space for me led into and I you know I can vividly remember being on the couch and just having 
really magnetic suicidal thoughts, you know, just like not and absolutely being convinced that that was the best step for my family and my girls because I was feeling numb to joy. And that's one of the spaces that I struggle with when I feel numb and I can't touch the joy of the things that usually bring me joy. And so then compiling, you know, that not only was there that pain, then there was the pain of feeling shame on top of that. And that I like I that that next level was, you know, when when you say that like non-reactive stoic, like that I I transform into that space. And I think that people, like especially my husband, who's witnessed and even been through this journey with me, will say, like, it's almost as if something comes over me and I'm not me. Yeah. And um, and so that space, you know, my, you know, we got all the books. I didn't know that you had one book just on. I wish that I had but we were reading all the books and I was actively in therapy and mentioned to my OB, right. Who was like taking care of me that I was really struggling. I had checked all the boxes on the pieces of postpartum. It wasn't something I was afraid to say that I needed help with. It was just so consuming and large. And his response to me, um, you know, you know, was, was not an official diagnosis, but he said, I think, you know, you're showing signs that you're bipolar, you know, you need medicine. Mm -hmm. And I felt so small in that office. And I knew in the depths of my soul, and I'm not anti-medicine. I think I, I shared before on the podcast, maybe, or even in our conversations, like I have asthma and I live with that. And so my medicine my daily life and there's a role for it and a place for it. And also I was tracking at that point with my therapist that my cycles in these, um, what turned into that really dark space with suicidal ideation turned into these almost manic episodes when I was ovulating. So that like syncing up with my cycle where I, I wouldn't sleep. And I was just like, I mean, great for running a business sort of kind of like I was launching, you know, I was like doing all the things and then come crashing down when I would get my period. And that, that, you know, the, so hormonally we were tracking, we were just trying to figure out what's going on here. So I went back to my midwife, who's also has doctorate in functional medicine. And we sat and started to analyze. And I know it's, you know, I'm not here to prescribe. I'm here to share my story. Um, and for me, what we did, we, we figured out it was like it was related to food and my diet. So we made some tweaks and we started to figure out like I was chronically inflamed and there were all these hormones shifting in my body. And so we started to build this plan together and work on my body, this physical body that was healing from, you know, four children and trauma and all of the things. And I never touched once we made those alongside of her, never touched those spaces again, those high highs or low lows. Um, and she's now she'll be seven this spring and so that space when when I you know heard the story and my news to be especially because I grew up north of Boston and so lots of friends and friends in that area and people who actually know her um that what the one thing that I will say is that the, at least in my feed the feed was overwhelming of women shouting and saying listen to us we are not crazy this is not who we're wanting to be in the world. And this, like, we, we need help and we can get into system-wide conversations around, like, we just do such a disservice to our women who are raising and birthing children. Um, and so there was an overwhelming amount of empathy pouring and people crying out saying, me too, I've experienced this too. So I will say if anything, you know, that shining a light on it and talking about it, um, yeah, I mean, and I will say every everyone's experience is uniquely their own, right? And so tugging on those threads, I'm sure Dr. Stein can probably speak to that better. But that, yeah, I mean, that's in well, every, every time you talk, Sam, as I transition to Dr. Stein, is yeah. 
I learned something new about your story, no matter how good friends we are. Yeah. Because you you reveal from a different angle and you yeah. you and so I'm taking what you said and, and synthesizing down. Like I want everyone to hear, like, this is your third birth, just like it was Lindsay's third birth. Cause because even though Sam had four kids, there were twins, <laughs> one. Right? She's saying her birth was beautiful, the third one. It was yeah. everything she wanted. And yet this switch goes off. And then in saying that, she's also saying there was this outpouring of other women saying, this has happened to me too, me too, me too, right? Same here, same here, same here. We will talk system-wide, but like the way that we treat women, calling them crazy after birth Mm -hmm. is no different than how we're, and I don't want to downplay what we're doing, but what I'm saying is the the mistreatment of what people are Mm -hmm. going through in the moment, we're like, Oh, they're just dealing with crazy hormones. Just like let them do their thing. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is serious. Right. And then one other point of emphasis that I want to bring out is because because I, I asked you to touch on this so much when we were at the last presentation together at Post University is when you call them magnetic poles. Yeah. Leo can tell you about his. I can tell you about mine. <clears throat> For everyone who's judging Lindsay, we hope that this is the case and that there wasn't anything premeditated in this case. But for those of us who've either had homicidal or suicidal thoughts, Sam's explaining them through the lens of suicidal. I'm explaining them through the lens of suicidal. Theo has as well. It feels when when Sam says magnetic, magnetic feeling, it feels like you're drawn towards doing something in a way that glazed over look that Sam's describing mm-hmm. means I'm not in control of my own body. People need to hear that because if you haven't experienced that before, it's easy to judge and say, well, they must have planned it because to kill someone, you have to plan it. And we're saying we're not taking culpability away, but we're saying that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Can I add something to that, too? You know, how, like when like the next day, so you go into these spaces and it's like the next maybe the next day or like when you come out, then you go like then the shame is so great because you're just like, who was I even? And I, and I also like not to stray us, but tap into this when, so I have am in recovery 22 years, almost 23 years from a, from an eating disorder. And that, when that voice jumps in the driver's seat, same thing. It's like, it's like hijacking, right. And you, and then, then you snap back and you come back in the driver's seat or back in that CEO seat. And you're just like, mm. like, holy shit. Like, like who, whoa like whoa and the world looks different like things just look different things feel different so yeah i i don't know how i don't know I, and i think this is can be limited where human language is limiting right with right. How, how to capture what the experience is well yeah i i can i can jump in there and explain yeah. what's going on so um i don't know if you've ever heard of parts therapy or internal family mm-hmm. systems sure. but that's exactly what we look for is that there's parts of you that are going to come to the surface to protect you. And uh, that protection might be to kill yourself, right? (laughs) Like, because you're in so much pain or in so much danger from the pain, this perceived pain, that the only solution is to kill Mm -hmm. yourself. Not Not that that is a conscious decision, but there's a part that is being drawn emotionally to the surface uh, your amygdala, <laughs> so to speak, and you don't even know why it's happening, what's happening, because you're not necessarily connected to what triggered that response. And it might be an unconscious, subconscious response 
triggered just in the same way that PTSD is triggered. You know, mm. it's, something's happening in the environment that your body's picking up on, on mm. some level, or your mind is picking up on some level that's not consciously or cognitively uh, connected to not right away. Um, but that part of you is coming to, to protect you and directing your actions. And that is what can happen. And so there's other parts of you in the background, uh, saying, Whoa, Whoa, what's going on here, but they don't necessarily have control. So they they just do it because they're like, you, you described it beautifully, Sam, you really mm. did with this magnetic pull and and you come out of it. It's like, whoa, what was going on there? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? And everyone experiences that, believe it or not. It's a it's a type of dissociation, and and it's a it's a way to protect you. Um, and the, you know that happens to absolutely every single person on some level, but it's a it's a spectrum. And uh, to everyone to, to everyone who says, Doctor Son, how could that possibly protect you? you're killing yourself, right? And and I hate the terminology killing yourself for that reason. What I wanna have everyone think about is your computer, when there's too many windows open on it, it blue screens in a safety mode type of way. Like too much is open at once, right. we need to shut down. Right. When your phone is in the sun for too long, the phone says, it's been hot too long, we're turning off right now, right? Mm -hmm. And so when the system becomes overwhelmed with too much stuff, mm -hmm. that protection mechanism of getting out of that pain, call it hard-coded, hard-wired into our DNA, call mm -hmm. it, but the disassociation that happens brings us to this place where people do things that when you're rationally thinking, you can't possibly imagine someone making a rational choice, right? Mm -hmm. And where I want to bring you and Theo together in on this, which I think will be fascinating, because I want Theo's personal experience with this to counteract what we heard from the prosecuting attorney, and then Achina to hear you in terms of how you've seen it in other patients play out, is the, the chronology that the prosecuting attorney was using to try to show that this was premeditated was bringing up examples like, well, Lindsay was having a very coherent talk the day of, right before, hours before. The day before, she was smiling and her parents described it that that's the happiest that she's been in a long time. Theo, as someone who's felt these awful holes of ideation, could you set the record straight for people about how you can go from this place where you're here one minute and then you're here the next minute? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the whole key to all of this is finding out how do I, how do I fight, find the right chemistry within myself to be able to regulate? Because when I can't do that, then I'm going to seek out, you know, addictions, relationships, food, you know, all of these things, because, because I don't, I just don't feel right. So I either want to feel better or I don't want to feel at all. Right. And so, um, you know, I have a mom who has been on, you know, psychotropic medicine for 50 years. Okay. And she's now in her late seventies and because of all the side effects of the medications that she's been on, 
you know, sometimes she'll call me and she'll be awesome. And then the next time she calls, she'll be a completely different person. So, and, and I know, and I know right now, you know, it's winter time in Alberta and I struggle so much with depression, seasonal depression that, you know, it's very hard to be able to get out of, you know, uh, sitting in uncomfortability, right? And everything that I know about making myself feel better <laughs> has to do with addiction, right? And so when I don't have any coping mechanisms, you know, I tend to be able to sit in it for long periods of time <clears throat> and fluctuate through, you know, the holistic tools that I've gained over the years so that I don't have suicidal ideations or, you know, I have a plan in place where when certain things aren't going necessarily the way that I want them to, you know, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call you, Eric, or I'll call, you know, I'll call several people on my list just to check in and let them know that I'm not doing well. And there's no shame in that. There's no, you know, I just need to, to but express before, that. Before you had those tools though, Theo, like you've described it the same way the prosecutor saying Lindsay was smiling. Lindsay was having the best day. Like to the outside appearances, you were scoring goals. You were You're scoring goals. You were, you were, you were on the top of the score yeah. sheet. You were, you were high-fiving your, your your teammates and then out of nowhere why you're do feeling you, this awful hole why do you think that i loved being on the ice because it was the only place where my dopamine and serotonin levels were actually at a at a place where i was actually functioning at the highest level yep but when i left the rink i can't produce dopamine and serotonin so you know, that's the pleasure part of your brain. So yeah, I'm going to be depressed and anxious. And so no wonder I did copious amounts of cocaine when I wasn't on the ice is because that dopamine, you know so, what I mean? So now, so, let's, now let's take, let's take what you just said and bring it to Dr. Stein, because what what's painting in my mind, and it pertains to what Sam said, when you are mom the first two times and Compared to Theo as being on the ice, my chemistry feels in balance. Whatever that chemistry is, right? We could, we could, we could, we could have a whole episode and a podcast for for hours on what is real chemistry and how is it created. Take that away. I felt good, and I feel good when I'm on the ice. That brings me to a good place. When you're a mom, you're a mom who loves taking care of that young child that you just brought into the world. That makes you feel purpose. That makes you feel like you're in the right place at the right time, like what Theo just described with being on the ice. So now imagine Lindsay feeling that and the and the and the the parents, Lindsay's parents saying she was the happiest she's been in a while. We seen her. And then all of a sudden, some of the other stuff starts to creep in when you're in the moment with your kids. And now you start to disassociate because the one thing that brings you joy, Theo's hockey the mom's connection to her kids mm -hmm. that drops off on you. Mm -hmm. Right. These are the disassociation periods we're talking about. And, and Dr. Stein, if you want to talk about it through a clinical lens, but I, I more wanted to hear like, 
we're we're talking about what possibility was with Lindsay. We're talking about Sam's story. Theo's giving his story as not a mother, but an athlete. You probably see this all the time when you're treating patients or in your coaching pursuits. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, there, no, there's a hormonal change. And I, I think in Theo's case, most likely, I, I mean, I don't know Theo well enough to know for sure, but most likely it had to do with adrenaline. You yeah. know, the adrenaline surges are what causes you to uh, function on the ice, you know, that excitement. And when you're not on the ice, those adrenaline surges drop and, and then you feel this void. So you're trying to constantly mimic those surges uh, in order to, because that's the way you learned how to survive. And, you know, generally many women, especially when they're you know, multitasking, having to do uh, A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, mm -hmm. and take care of four children and, and uh, work a full-time job and, you know, take care of the household. They are these energizer bunnies and they might be just very happy to do all of those things, but it, it, there's a toll and uh, that adrenaline is a different kind of adrenaline. It's not, it's kind of survival, but it's also what our culture has sort of made uh, uh, the woman of today to be this superwoman without any rest because if they do rest they feel guilty and shame for not being superwoman and so it's really important to look at the hormonal change so if your batteries are are draining and you know you're not able to mount that cortisol in order to continue to function in that way that's going to be a toll and but if your cortisol is sky high you know like in in theo's case that's going to be a toll so there's no balance there and what happens is that if cortisol needs to be high what that does is it steals from your other hormones to make cortisol. So your mm -hmm. progesterone drops and ultimately your estrogen drops uh, and then testosterone drops And it, depending on whether or not you're male or female, there's a, a complete imbalance of your hormones. So when you are already in an imbalance mode and then you've had a baby, that's mm -hmm. going to be a crash in hormones uh, to the point where it can cause gen and psychosis. Uh, I've had several women be hospitalized um, before they saw me uh, and, and had a history of even losing several uh, pregnancies and having been put on exogenous uh, progesterone in order to maintain the pregnancy. And then once the delivery happened, uh, the there was no more progesterone mm -hmm. left and uh, and then they crashed and became depressed and psychotic. And instead of just replacing the progesterone, which I think would have resolved the, the problem, they instead were put on SSRIs or antipsychotics and, and had multiple hospitalizations. I actually had two women in that situation. And uh, fortunately they you know, found me a functional medicine psychiatrist and we were able to stabilize um, both of those women just with hormone replacement and uh, be able to bring their body back into balance. But to speak to Sam's uh, experience, that's what needs to be done <laughs> is to find the root cause of the problem mm -hmm. and bring the body back into balance and figure out why the body's inflamed in the first place. Probably these women were inflamed well, well before they were 
pregnant, causing these hormonal imbalances. And sometimes it's to the point where they can't even get pregnant. But if they are pregnant, and they might have miscarriages, but and if but if they do go to the end of pregnancy and, and deliver, uh, you know, their baby, beautiful baby, then you can have the postpartum issues. So you know, there's different places where these hormones can drop off and not support whatever it is based on based on at what point this happens, either not having a baby or losing the baby or having the baby and, you know, mom, the mom having uh, all of these uh, postpartum issues. So but Sam's and, and th that was incredibly helpful and knowledgeable and like people hearing that hearing the hormonal piece, mm -hmm. Dr. Stein, is going to be incredible for people to understand. There's like, and I'm saying 50% of the puzzle, probably more than 50% amongst other things besides just hormones that are outside of chemistry that we hear about, like serotonin, dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. right. And so Sam tells her story and she's like, my OB is like, you're bipolar and we need to put you on a mood stabilizer, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you know, Sam knows my story, but enough for me to be able to like look behind the back of her head and say, she's got a whiteboard out there. Sam's a planner. <laughs> and, you know, I would go to these doctors. I'm not a female. I wasn't pregnant, but the doctor would go, here's a line. Okay. Here's all the SSRIs you tried. Mm -hmm. Here's all the SNRIs. Here's the MAOIs. Here's the tricyclics. And they would put X's through what I tried. Like I was a human dartboard and they were just crossing off the numbers. So the question has to be asked, Dr. Stein, because you, you're you a trained psychiatrist, which means you trained in the traditional medicine avenue, mm -hmm. let's call it that, right? Where the same way that Sam's doctor said, go on this SSRI to, or, or the mood stabilizer, they said to me, go on these 52 different ones. That's the school that you came from. Right. For, if you don't mind first helping people understand like why when a Lindsay goes through this, how in the world does she end up in four months getting prescribed 13 different drugs? Why is that the first course of action? Why so many? And then from there, I think what would be helpful is for people to understand why you personally chose a different route in terms of treating people that this isn't the first line always. This isn't just there's some their A is wrong, so we got to put B towards it. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. 
Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a place for medication. Certainly, you know, if somebody's having acute symptoms where they can't function, uh, are a danger to themselves or others, you know, medication certainly should be part part of the solution, not the whole solution and the only solution. Certainly psychotherapy is another part. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned how parts therapy is something that can be used, but it's not well known. And I think every psychotherapist absolutely should learn how to do internal family systems and parts therapy, because I can't tell you how many people um, have issues with, um, you know, this, the, the, their parts, and they don't really aren't connected to that. And they go to psychotherapy and the, the, the psychotherapist is not aware that that's happening either. And until finally they, they see something and it clicks and they, and they learn, oh, that's what's going on. And then, then they know exactly what to do and who to find to help them do it. But anyway, I, I, to answer your question, I'm, I'm, and I'm pausing as you say that, cause I think it's such an important point to highlight what you just shared. And I want everyone to hear it clearly is someone who's dealing with what we call postpartum. The idea from society looks at it and goes, what's the medication that fixes this? Right. And what Dr. Stein is saying is, okay, medication may be a piece of it, call it small, call it minor, call it a sliver, call it a majority of it, but it's a piece. It's not the whole thing. Then with that is this thing called therapy. But then even within therapy, we have to more broadly define what therapy is. What Dr. Stein is saying is internal family systems is one of, we as an organization call them STAR exercises, stress and trauma, active releasing and rewiring. But what Dr. Stein is sharing here is in, in such a poignant, important point, even something as specific as what would be considered postpartum depression, having tools, resources, and therapy skills, Right. Sam being taken to a functional medicine doctor or going herself and changing her diet, these are all things that can help a woman who's acutely in what we would call postpartum, a male like Theo, who's in the middle of an awful uh, uh, stretch where he's playing professional hockey at a high level, People need to hear that. They need to hear that clearly that it's not one or the other. It's not, it's just drugs and drugs fixes you or it's just talk therapy. It's one thing could be a little piece of it. And you have to be able to say, what are all these other work skills that we can be doing? Okay, I just want to make sure to hammer that point home. Yeah, I mean, and there's different kinds of therapy, like somatic therapy. And there's so many tools that I talk to my patients about that most most, uh, and it's getting better. I mean, I have to say that it is getting better. People are starting to catch on, learn meditation, teach their patients meditation and breathing and things like that. But so, you know, there's, there is a lot that can be done. And uh, as you mentioned, there's diet, there's exercise, and some people don't realize just how much it does impact mm-hmm. uh, it. And so my, the way I got into functional medicine is because my son uh, uh, was uh, 14 years old when he became overnight acutely depressed and suicidal and standing on a fifth floor ledge ready to jump. Uh, And it was the day before he was fine. That day he was, he had a tip with his brother. He was missing his friends and just thought, you know, just typical adolescence mood issues. 
And uh, next thing I know, he's standing on the ledge ready to jump. And the thing is, it, it was a shock to me. Here I am, a psychiatrist, his mom, you would think that I would know, you know, as, as a psychiatrist, be able to pick up on, on this as being something seriously abnormal, but it just literally was out of the blue. And, uh, you know, I took when, you know, we were away in France, uh, my husband was on sabbatical. So when we got home, I took him to a psychiatrist, psychiatrist put him on four medications, one after the other over the course of maybe two, three months. And I had him see a, psych a psychotherapist and he was, you know, not my son. He was a zombie for lack of a better word, but he was not functioning and he was a little bit better. He's no longer suicidal, but he was anxious, not, not able to sleep um, and uh, just not himself at all. Uh, and the thing that made me realize that something else was going on was the fact that he could no longer read. He was an avid reader and he just couldn't read anymore. And so we had to change all of his books to audio. We would read to him. Um, and he had helpers in school to, to be able to do the work. He just couldn't read. And uh, ultimately we found out that he had diplopia, which is double vision. Um, and so ultimately I had taken him because I was not getting any help from other doctors in my field about what went wrong and how could I make this better? I found functional medicine, mm -hmm. took him to a functional medicine doctor and found that he had uh, celiac disease mm -hmm. and, uh, I had a gene on my side. My husband had a gene on his side, his aunt, his maternal aunt had celiac disease. Most likely my mother-in-law has celiac disease, but she won't have testing done or, or, you know, refuses to have a gluten-free diet, but I'm sure it would help her in so many ways. But anyway, you know, we found that he had, uh, because of the celiac disease, he had been nutritionally deficient, uh, for years. Um, and, uh, and I thought I had this normal boy, but, you know, looking back, uh, once I learned what I learned, I found that he actually, um, had se severe, he lived with severe eczema to the point that his knuckles bled and severe constipation, which are common for, from celiac disease. And so when we um, put him on a gluten and dairy-free diet, and ultimately we found he was also sensitive to soy, and then we took the soy out, constipation and the um, skin condition, the eczema, completely cleared up within a month, completely. And so he was completely on board with making changes in his diet to, uh, in, to improve his entire health, including his mental health. And within you know about six months, he was... Um, it's, it's happened so long ago that, you know, I'm probably getting the dates all wrong, but it was about, it wasn't that long that he was able to have a, an improvement in his mood to the point where by a year's time, he was off two of his medications. Um, and, uh, just in two years, it, the diplopia, the double vision got better as well. So everything, you know, everything was eventually resolved just by, you know, removing what was causing inflammation, which was foods, um, toxins that he's, he'd been exposed to and his, you know, everybody's exposed to toxins, which I won't get into more, but foods that there's chronic infections that can cause, um, inflammation, foods, infections, toxins, and stress, all of which affect your hormones. 
And in, it was, it was because he hit puberty, which is a hormonal change that all of this explosion of symptoms came out at that time. So, you know, by pull, finding all the root causes, we were able to bring his mind, body, and spirit back into balance. And he was able to come off of all four medications. Um, the thing is, you know, he learned what he needed to do in order to stay stable because once he hit college, you know, he stayed up late at night, you know, how those teenagers are in college <laughs> being up where, you know, the, the night begins at 11 PM yeah. and goes into 3 AM and, you know, obviously drinking alcohol and staying up late and doing all nighters, studying for exams. Uh, he was, by the time he graduated from college, he was back to square one again, believe it or not. Yeah. And, um, and so, but he knew, he knew what he needed to do to get back to, you know, back, uh, you know, to, um, into balance because he, he had the tools. And within six months of graduating, he was able to put it all into place again and feel well again. So, you know, everyone's going to have life happen to them. It's just a matter of knowing how to, to respond to it. Uh, and what you need is education. So I spent a lot of time educating people about what the possibilities are, what they can do. And it's a matter of you, you know, knowing that you're worth it and mm -hmm. uh, believing that and taking steps one foot in front of the other and putting those things in place. The thing about functional medicine is that it is work. I mean, it's work to change mm -hmm. habits. It's work to change your diet. It's work, you know, it's, it's an investment of time and money too, because the insurance system, unfortunately, is not set up to pay for functional medicine yet. I'm, I'm always hoping that things will change because I really believe that this is the way we should be approaching every uh, condition and that we should be the front line, you yep. know, for medicine and uh, not always, you know, just handing a prescription for a medication. Personally, I think medication should be the last resort and for serious, you know, really serious symptoms because all these symptoms are on a, on a spectrum right. and, but it shouldn't be, you know, this or medication, it should be this and medication right. Right. and therapy. There are so many things that we could do because we're complex beings, right. you know, we're not just an on off switch. You know, we, we have multiple emotions. There's multiple things uh, going on. You know, when you said that Sam, you know, you like, you learn something about her every mm -hmm. time you've heard her story uh, mm -hmm. that you didn't know. And it's like, that's how complex we are. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to be able, no doctor is going to be able to know exactly what to do in a 15 minute session. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You yeah. know, so the way the system is set up is to, prescribe to get, figure out what is the ill that you have right now and to match a pill to that ill. Yeah. And that's it, you know, and, and it's, 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 that to me is a tragedy. And so it's, it speaks to the system that we currently have in place and that there really needs to be changes and it needs well, we, to be a multidisciplinary team for everything, not just I mean, answer. Look, your, 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 your history of why you got into this space, doing it this way and it being related to a personal story, similar to Carolyn Ross on the, on the last episode, and what unfortunately the suicide of 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 her son, um, is you're you're helping to shine light on some of the downside in our system, and 
when I think of Lindsay's situation, bringing it back to that, because that's what brings us here, is, you know, Dr. Stein, you're talking about a lot of the factors that go into the inflammation in the system, go into the changes in the hormones in the system overall. And I think people probably look at Lindsay's situation and go, she was fine, she was fine, she was fine, she was fine. Then she had a baby. Then when she had a baby, then the postpartum started a couple months later. Then all this stuff happened. Right. And that's not the story Sam told. Mm -hmm. That's not the story Theo told. That's right. not my story. It's an accumulation and a build. And it happens to be the changes to the hormones of what happens when you give birth. Then at that point, compounds on top of the all the other things that go into place. And I'm saying that, Dr. Stein, to back up what you're saying in this idea of functional, holistic, integrative practitioners being first line, because if you don't look at it through that lens, it's going to be, here's the pill for your ill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be the, this is what's wrong with you. You fit Sam into this bucket called bipolar. So we yeah. need to give you this medication for it. I want to, can, so that, can I hang on that Please. for a sec? Because I also, so like a little, yeah, not to be not to chronicle my whole journey. There was a time in which my therapist, you know, I, I was working with a functional medicine provider and getting such incredible results. And actually celiac is, part of the root not that that's for everyone but that actually was part of my that's part of my story um and I was hitting I you know going through a well I do certain COVID like when we all hit rough patches of our own variety and she was pushing my therapist my top therapist psychotherapist was, was pushing medicine so much and I mean it's the reason that I broke up with her in that relationship and left it because I'll tell you so when I was listening to you and then where you were going with this Speaking from my own experience, as someone that is like so in tune now to, to trying to figure out what the root is, right? The root cause, whether it's neural pathways that need like emotion released in my body, whether it's understanding what parts are coming forward, or I felt broken every time she would say, "We want to try, like we we need to get get you in with a psychiatrist so we can get you on medicines." Or I really think you should consider medicine. And every time, not that, yeah, so saying that versus having someone say let's look at you as a whole human and figure out what's going on big picture and what's going in in that in that time and energy spent learning those layers of like who you are as a human being and seeing all of your systems together that there's such a difference in feeling heard and understood and seen versus being seen and feeling like you have this problem and that when I was listening to you and then, you know, connecting to Lindsay and why we're here, this idea of the shame, like that just like, what's wrong with me? These aren't working. Like what's, what's wrong with me? Why isn't this working? And then you're just like, well, what, like at that point, it, you know, I can say for myself, you go like, well, what happens when that doesn't work? Like what, 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 like you just feel like you are the actual problem, which is in essence what shame is, right. Mm -hmm. Versus something to, figure out and solve a problem to right. be solved. Right. And so it's so disempowering it um, yeah. versus having it be this big picture lens of how can we have this conversation and take into consideration all of the different parts and pieces of what's leading you here. And I had people say to me, there's no way, like people close to me that were like, there's no way food has that big of an impact. Oh, it I'm has like, a huge impact. I'm just like, okay, like yeah, this is my story. And so I don't know that it's true for everyone. I can just tell you what's true and real for me and what's been my experience. So 
Um, and so we don't know what Lindsay's story is. We don't know those details and we have no idea. And I think part of when you opened, Eric, what, what I was thinking is part of the greatest healing for me has come from challenging stories that we automatically tell ourselves about right. what happened and why it happened. And, you know, and then the distancing we do from others, like, oh, that can't happen to me, you know. Every, every single time there is a major news story where there's a murder or there's a shooting or like I think of the the Vegas shooting, if you remember at the country music festival and immediately the mayor comes on and goes, we're not going to stop until we find the motive. Right. Mm -hmm. And as someone who knows how homicidal and suicidal thoughts come about from that spectrum that Dr. Stein talks about, I'm like, biting my tongue like wanting to jump through the the screen being like sometimes it's not a i hate people who wear country music clothing and i want to shoot up those people it's right. literally something that comes over your system theo look like you were trying to chime in there i want to make sure you get a chance to no but it it, it makes it makes perfect sense <clears throat> to me when people talk about functional medicine because it because, you know, I've been on this journey for 25 years. And every time I have problems and issues, it always goes back to functional medicine. What am I putting in my body? How am I sleeping? Uh, how stressed am I? Right? There's so many factors involved that I eventually get to, to the solution because I now know how to advocate for myself mm -hmm. right and i think that's the biggest thing that we don't teach in this space is that you're allowed to ask as many questions as you want mm -hmm. it's hard to feel right? that way when you're a new mom right yeah. like that's like no. yeah you feel so disempowered of course but yeah. but you know there's a certain trust there too mm -hmm. that that has also been taught to us that we're supposed to trust our doctors and you know all these things and we're not supposed to ask questions now i ask as many questions as i possibly can because i know that i need to in order for uh because i know when i go see a doctor first of all my cortisol levels are right through the roof right i'm stressed out and so i need to ask questions right Right. And and that's right. probably the best thing that I've learned through this whole entire journey is, is that I can advocate for myself and I can ask as many questions as I want, and then I'll get to my own conclusion. And for everyone, Theo, because Dr. Stein brought up that functional medicine may cost more because it's not covered by insurance and all that right now. To to piggyback on Theo's point, what I want, I, and I tell people this personally all the time when they call me, Eric, do you have a doctor? Who do you, who would you recommend? That I recommend an integrative psychiatrist or a functional medicine doctor, and that's why we have those two alliances: integrative uh, psych, uh, well, we call it integrative psych, and same here psych, and then functional medicine doctors we call same here doctors. But what Theo's saying, ask those questions. I'm sure there's a skeptic in the back who's going, "Yeah, sure, Theo, that's real easy." When You've got the resources to be able to ask doctors those questions because they're they're caught they're charging you per hour and they're already so expensive. Mm -hmm. My plea to everyone out there is, if you go to a doctor like Doctor Stein, who gets to the source, mm -hmm. 
even in spending more money because you need a 45 minute appointment instead of a 30 minute appointment or an hour and 15 minute appointment instead of an hour appointment, it's worth it to spend that little more upfront. I know it's easy for me to say, you might have to take a loan to do it. You might have to work an extra job to do it. You might have to ask a family member or friend to do it. You save more money and you save more time in your life when you do that. Mm -hmm. When you find a doctor who's willing to field your questions and answer you as a whole human, like what Sam was saying, because you could keep going to the doctors if you want to do bed management and talk therapy, bed management and talk mm -hmm. therapy, the gold standards that we've heard about forever and nothing else. And guess what? You stay as a hamster on the wheel, continuing to pay your co-pays, never getting better. Time is valuable and money eventually ends up adding up on those other appointments. And I'm not trying to trash every med management and talk therapy doctor out there. Please don't misinterpret that. I think there's some great ones who know how to partner with other practitioners and help get the help that's needed. But your health is the most important thing to you. Don't take a shortcut on that. If you find a doctor who helps you get to the source and is willing to allow you to ask questions, even if it costs more, it's worth the time and the money up front to do it. Well, you know, my, may I say though, that there is a lot you can do on your own. Yes. If you're uh, if you're an organized, disciplined person that's curious, likes to read and- yes. It's it's if you if you just read books and did what the books said because you're that type of person you can go far and I have lots of patients who have done that on their own and then they give me a call and it's like okay I did X Y and Z and I followed everything in your book I have a do it yourself uh, online course um, that's twelve weeks that I used to do as uh, you know groups but. You can get it online and um, people have done the program on their own. And then they come and say, this is what's changed for me. I've gotten so better in X, Y, and Z, but I got stuck here. Yeah. And so that's when, you know, you, you can then, you know, get some help and, you know, you don't have to, there's so much you can do because a lot of it is lifestyle and dietary changes. And I can't tell you how many people have gotten so much better just from doing the work in, in that's written out. And what, and what builds Dr. Stein from the self-help books that you have and the, just to repeat it for everyone else, maybe it's not depression, right? With what Sam does with her coaching program is when you start to learn these tools and these skills, and these drills, this happens. Forget about that this is a podcast. You get a group of people together who understand each other, who like each other, and who are well-practiced and understood in this space. You become peer-to-peer -peer coaches for each other that can help each other. I'm not trying to say that replaces having a doctor. So obviously, Dr. Stein, Theo, Sam, and I each have our own run-ins um, with hospitalizations. I can say in my particular case, I was taking cold turkey off of two years of being on Xanax and the hospital I went to said, we don't believe in Xanax. We believe in Clonopin. Took me off Xanax overnight, just switched me to Clonopin. Some may say, oh, that's completely normal. Some may say that's out of their mind. I think that's an important context as we close here because so many people want to know, how's it possible to be put on 13 different meds? Eric, how's it possible you were put on 52 different meds in, in, in two and a half years? And I think part of the nuance of this story is Lindsay was being treated. Then she checked herself into the hospital. She was there for four days. Then she comes out of the hospital. We don't know, to be fair to Dr. Stein, I'm not asking her to <laughs> tell everyone insider information, 
We don't know what the case was in terms of how these doctors all talk to one another, but it's an important piece to hear from a doctor. Sometimes how being prescribed by multiple prescribers at the same time in and out of hospitals, going to get different opinions, sometimes these things can come about. So as we close up, Dr. Stein, anything you want to add on that piece? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a very complex situation. Some of it is a systems issue, and uh, it does require having communication from the outpatient to the inpatient, the inpatient to the outpatient transition, and that's where sometimes things fall apart. And so, if that communication doesn't occur, then uh, you know, and and sometimes the discharge summary might have details, but it's delayed. So there are some systems that are really, really good about that communication. And then depending on where you are in the country and other systems, it doesn't even exist. So I think it's really important to have that communication and getting the history from the, the provider on the outside. Um, and you know that sometimes just doesn't happen. That history, I think, is really, really important. Plus that outpatient provider also knows that patient really, really well. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, the reason that kind of change occurs in terms of medication changes, they technically are, I believe, ideally, it should be a, a slow transition. Sometimes medications are stopped and then another one started, or sometimes they're cross tapered. Um, it, and it depends on how, you know, how much the person is suffering and how much you need to get those symptoms under control. So, you know, if you're, if, and I think a lot of times uh, there are different types of doctors that have different philosophies about that. I, you know, believe in looking at the whole person and, and transitioning very, very slowly and having a lot of communication about things, but there are other doctors on the other uh, ex extreme uh, side of the spectrum where they're psychopharmacologists, and I'm not saying all psychopharmacologists are like this, but I've known a few where they believe that you are, uh, your brain is all chemicals. And, you know, all you need to do is just find the right combination to set it straight. And I, you know, I once worked with a, a psychiatrist who was really proud of himself to be able to do that. And I just like, you can't look at a person, in my opinion, as just being a bunch of chemicals. Um, and so I think it's important to really look at the whole person, but the goal of making all these medication changes is to find that right combination. And I think the brain in, you know, in my opinion, I've seen it, you know, really can, does not like to be treated that way, you know, on, off, on, off, it really changes your chemistry. And, uh, it, and there's significant side effects with these medications. And so that's why I think we need to look at these symptoms on a spectrum. In my opinion, it's important to really use medications in the more severe cases. It certainly has a place for it. I mean, there are some people who do not get better without medication, but that's, it's, a, it's the same in my opinion, in, in my opinion, that it's almost like if you were in a car wreck and had multiple broken bones, you know, uh, you, you would want them to get the jaws of life and pull you out and helicopter you and have emergency surgery and have those bones set, but you're not going to, 
I don't think anyone expects to go go uh, home with casts on for the rest of their lives. You know, they know that those casts are going to come off and they're going to go into rehab, right? Uh, and and uh, and be able to walk again, or hopefully be able to, you know, move it to the degree that they were prior to this accident. And unfortunately, sometimes there's permanent injuries, but the goal is to get you functioning as best as possible without those casts, right? And so I think we should look at medication in the same way that we use medications uh, as emergency surgery and putting on casts and, and ultimately go through a multidisciplinary psych rehab so that you don't need to be on these things for the rest of your life. Because we are complex beings, ultimately, that is what we should be doing. Well, I've, I've been a recipient of the psychopharmacology world. I wish there were doctors like you that I met earlier on. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Sam, I'll let you close it out. I think you need to share a, a message mother to mothers out there mm -hmm. and what Lindsay went through. I know that you don't know mm -hmm. what was in her mind. I know that you can't. But I think in closing, just the Theo says it, we collect people, right? That's what our job is. And we may say it ad nauseum, but in collecting people at the end of this episode, how do we bring in moms who've been through this and then everyone else who's not a mom who's been through this to better understand this so they can see there's another way to look at this where we can all rally around and help people who are going through these situations. Excuse me off, Terry. Uh, just, you know, to the moms who are listening that, you know, there may be something that was said throughout the conversation that where you felt seen maybe for the first time or no, you're not alone. And one of the most powerful messages that I've heard along this motherhood journey comes from um, Dr. Becky Kennedy. I think her husband was, she goes by Dr. Becky. And she talks about what we talk about in a different way. And it just landed very differently for me hearing it outside of the sport world or performance world or even mental health space when she just talks about the goodness that's inside of us. And so I think about Lindsay and the goodness, the inherent goodness that's inside of her. And again, like you said, separating, you know, so she, she walks through this exercise to capture visually, like if you have two fists, put your two fists out in front of you and the left fist represents who you are as a human and you're good inside and you're worthy and you're loved. And this right fist represents our actions in the world, right? Driven by, like we talked about, maybe it's a part of us, that internal family systems part, or where we have those magnetic pulls or something is driving that behavior and not our truest self, that that behavior is not who we are at our core. And while we're responsible for our behavior in the world, it doesn't change our goodness. And so I think that, and you know, for those who haven't read Lindsay's husband's and I don't know what his name is I'm blanking on it his letter yeah. um and talking about that goodness of who she was and is right that that's in, inside of all of us and I think I I will say like and I don't talk about this very often or maybe even ever publicly motherhood is my deepest shame trigger it is it you know when I feel that I'm falling short, it is the place where I very easily slide into, I am mother, instead of I am Samantha, good inside, who's mothering. And so that shame, I think we, we don't talk about it 
enough as moms that we carry and being able to put that down and see that we're doing the best that we can with the resources that we have. And that instead of turning toward ourselves to say like, what did I do wrong? How am I broken? I think it's this com combination of a both and of like, how is the system failing us? Honestly, how is the system contributing to this? And also like, what is it that I'm needing internally, right? Like when Theo talked about what, knowing what, what do I need to do to be able to better, better balance myself and honor my needs and heal my body so that I can show up and do the mothering in the ways that, that I know I want to. So yeah, just, I mean, massive grace mm -hmm. and love and, and knowing, you know, while we don't know the details of others' journeys, like knowing that dark space, it's lonely and it's scary. And it's, and it, I think that I don't, I don't have maybe doctors saying about the language around like what part of us that is, but like that we are inside as mm -hmm. moms and that, and that, that goodness doesn't change. So remembering that we're good inside, honestly, that we're good inside and like literally for the moms listening, putting their hands on their heart and saying like, I am good inside mm -hmm. and maybe I'm not showing up how I want. Yep. Right. And I'm going Absolutely. to give myself grace and also, right. I'm good inside. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, for, on behalf of Theo and Darren and I, who are three guys mm -hmm. who couldn't do service to this conversation the way that you two could mm -hmm. from a clinical perspective and from a female perspective, from a mom's perspective, I hope everyone took from this hearing both the lens through which you all are sharing and then the lens through which Theo and I tried to make comparisons of going through mental health challenges and making the parallel to someone who's doing it through after their body's just been through what it's been through from, mm -hmm. from the birth. And that people don't look at this episode and go, that's for the moms this episode, or that's for the mm -hmm. hockey players who understand the moms in this episode. No, we try to paint this picture so that everyone could hear from many different angles. And what we hope the takeaway is, is that we don't know what happened with Lindsay. The, the facts are going to play out, but that there's a dent put in this idea that when there's a tragedy that happens, it was always a premeditated thing that we got to find out what the motives were before it. That's not always the case. Mental health is extremely complicated and nuanced. And there's a lot of discussion that takes an hour plus podcast. And I'm sure that if we had time and people would listen, could go another four hours besides right. this and right. won't do that. But uh, Dr. Stein, mm -hmm. your book, you know, hopefully everyone runs out and gets it. Um, what if it's not depression? And then Sam, please look up all of her work. Sam Arsenal Livingston, she does a ton of coaching, works with a lot of professional sports teams, works with a lot of college sports teams, youth sports teams. Um, just amazing work that you're both doing in this space. And thank you both for coming on. So on behalf of Theo and Darren, this is another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. We look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks. Thanks.